We're going to be looking at our third lesson out of four, looking at the topic of uh, the Satan fight against the Christian. Now, if you remember, over the last few weeks, we looked at several different uh, aspects regarding this. Uh, in, our, in our first lesson, uh, we looked at uh, how Satan attacks man, and uh, you know, if Satan attacks man, and how he does so. Uh, last week, uh, we looked at how Satan's actions affect the Christian. That is, how what they put, you know, his actions, how they result in different things in our lives. We'll talk about anxiety and depression and various things of that nature. And tonight we're going to be looking at really recognizing opportunities for Satan uh, to cause harm and, in our lives and how to respond to those opportunities. We mentioned a few in the first lesson about when Satan may try to uh, attack us in various ways, uh, but tonight we're going to be focusing more, uh, we'll talk about some of those things, we're going to be focusing more on how do we respond uh, to those things. And so, we want to begin first by asking the simple question, is there a way to know every time an action or a situation is brought on by Satan? Is there a way to know every time an action or situation is brought on from Satan? I think the simple answer to that is probably no, right? Uh, there's no way to know any of those things, but we can uh, sometimes, you might say, be suspect of some of the timing of these various hardships that we face and when they come, when they come upon us. Are there times in the Bible when Satan acted or moved against man? Are there times in the Bible when Satan acted or moved against man? Yes. Yes. There are times of that. We know why one that stands out the most is Job, right? I mean, that's a direct challenge uh, from Satan. So there's other times as well, I think as we'll see, based upon situations that mankind is in, that Satan uses opportunities to overcome man. For instance, I think about David and Bathsheba. What did Satan use to overcome David? Temptation of a beautiful woman bathing within his line of sight. And there's other examples of similar situations where individuals are enticed to sin. And I think we can say that it's not beyond the realm of possibilities that when those situations when temptations arise, that Satan uses opportunities to come against us and to move against us. And again, when we say move against us, we don't mean we hear a voice. We don't mean we feel someone push our arm to do something. We mean that there are opportunities that come upon us and we are enticed to do those things. James talks about, uh, for example, that when we sin, when we are enticed and when we uh, give, in, give in to that temptation and then we sin uh, by giving into those things. Another question is, did man always know this? Did man always know when Satan was acting or moving against him? Did Job know that it was Satan? No. So that tells us that not every time everyone is able to recognize that. I think many times the Bible, in fact, that's not even mentioned that they were aware of what was happening but Paul does warn us, and Peter does warn us over and over again, to be on guard against the wiles of the devil, 
to also be on guard against Satan because he walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so we know that events and difficulties that come upon us may not necessarily be caused by Satan, but can be opportunities for him to hinder us. If you're going to attack someone, when do you want to do it? In any situation, when do you want to attack someone? When they're the most vulnerable, right? There's a reason why we talk about, uh, and a lot of those who, who watch and observe wild animals, will talk about the weakest one is always the first one to go, and there's a reason for that. You don't go after the biggest and baddest one when there's a weak one in the line. And that's what Satan does many times as well, is attack us at our most vulnerable. Which brings us to some things we want to consider. Uh, Satan may use the following opportunities to cause you spiritual harm. And this, again, is not an extent of bliss. In fact, there's only three things I'm going to bring up this evening. But there are some we want to consider. The first is, if you think about opportunities for Satan to cause us spiritual harm, one of those easiest ones, I think, is when we are already stressed. Satan doesn't have to necessarily bring on a stressful situation in order for us to become stressed, right? I mean, we can, all you have to do is make a bad situation a little bit worse, right? We know in Matthew chapter 6, um, verses 25, in the chapter talking about do not worry. Well, we think about today, we think about prices of everything goes up. What opportunity is there for Satan in that? As prices go up, what does that cause in the mind of people today? Do what? A whole lot of worry. Worry, anxiety, doubt, nervousness, stress, because everything goes up, but not necessarily every pay wage does not always go up with it, right? And so it causes stress. When multiple issues arise at once, there's another opportunity for Satan. We talk about sometimes that we feel like things are just piling upon us. This happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. That's another great opportunity for Satan to do what? To distract us, to cause us harm. Now, you think about these situations, and the last one here, when you're having doubts, which we'll talk about here in just a moment. Keep in mind the very reason that Satan goes against man. Why did Satan speak to Eve in the garden? What was his purpose? We just had just multiple ones, but what was his main purpose? To get it to sin. What is Satan's main purpose when he comes against man today? Sin. So the purpose of his attack hasn't changed. Since his purpose hasn't changed, should our response change? You know, when when uh, Daniel is brought before the king, you remember when he's cast in the den of lions, he's brought, he's brought in because he went about doing what he's always done, which was praying to God three times a day, right? He's going to, to his home, over the windows, and he prayed towards uh, Jerusalem, right? Three times a day, nothing changed despite what the king had, what decree the king had made. Those three individuals who came and spoke against him and spoke those things to, to the king, what was their purpose? To make Daniel get condemned basically to death, right? That was the decree. 
What opportunity was there for that in Satan? When you think about that decree and the charge is brought against Daniel, what was Satan's opportunity there? How could Daniel sin in that situation? Remember the decree was not to beseech anyone, I believe it was 30 days. In order to, to avoid the den of lions, what could have Daniel done? He could have prayed to the king, right? He could have stopped praying to God and prayed to the king. That's what that decree ultimately meant, was for 30 days you're going to treat him like God. But Daniel didn't do it, he's cast into the den of lions. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was cast into the burning, fiery furnace because they defied the word of the king. What could they have done that Satan would have loved in that occasion? How could they have given in to Satan during that series of events? They could have bowed. Which is what Satan wanted. He wanted those three men to bow. He wanted Daniel to beseech the king. And by doing so, all of them would betray God. All of them would sin, and all their souls would be in jeopardy. And that's what Satan wants. So when we talk about these things this evening, we have to remember why we're talking about this. This isn't just something to, for us to consider and ponder. It's the fact that Satan wants every one of us to fail in our daily lives as a Christian. And anything can be turned from a... You will hear someone say you turn a, a you know, a molehill, you know, a, an anthill into a mountain. That's how the phrase goes. You turn a small thing into a big thing. You escalate it. Isn't that what Satan wants us to do? Because sometimes our problems turn out, turn out really, really small. And then maybe we get a little bit annoyed. And then we get a little bit frustrated. We get a little bit angry. We get a little bit worried. And that little problem just gets a whole lot bigger. And the window of sin, the opportunity of sin, went from this big to a whole lot bigger. Keeping in mind, the whole purpose we're talking about this is because we want to be on guard because Satan wants everyone in this room to fail and every other faithful Christian to fail. So when we talk about opportunities for Satan and these three things, these are no doubt very much broad. We have to remember, these may be broad, but there's a lot of things that go into these things that Satan will use to cause us to sin. Look at James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Let's look at James 1 and looking at verse 6. And someone want to read that. James 1 and verse 6. We are not to doubt. Worry, doubt, stress, everything really, there's so many things in life that build upon one another, right? Doubt is one of those steps as well. Being stressed causes worry, causes multiple other issues, and we begin to doubt anything. Maybe we begin to doubt, uh, well, this, this really just to our next point, but we think about how we are not to respond Doubt the power of prayer or the power of God in general. It goes back to James 1, verse 6, doesn't it? Think about what James says there. Let him ask in faith. Does asking in faith, well, he says next, without doubting. That means when we ask God something when we're praying to Him, 
we have confidence that he will answer according to his will, right? And we think about when we pray to God, it's not so much we should pray with the hope that we get the answer that we want, but that God will hear and respond to our prayer, and we know that he does. So when we pray to God, we have no reason to approach him with doubting. Instead, we are to ask him, he says, in faith. Then he says, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Driven and tossed by the wind. And we know very well that the wind is a very powerful thing. Living here in Oklahoma, unlike some other places in the country, that the wind can do some pretty nasty things. But we want to make sure that we don't allow ourselves to be, to be driven and tossed about with doubt, uh, like the wind often tosses uh, the waves. Doubt, the power of prayer, the power of God in general, is one of the ways we do not respond. If you go through Psalm 6, Psalm 6, and looking there in Psalm 6, looking at verse 9, I'm going to read that, Psalm 6 and verse 9. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord has will receive my prayer. Heard and received. You know, sometimes when we send emails, you'll see a little thing that says sending. You know, see a little box that says sent, which means that your message was has gone out. And sometimes, if you set up your email correctly, it'll say received. Which means you didn't just go out, it was received. We have the idea here in verse 9, our prayer going out and it being received by God. Now, if God hears, if our prayers go out and God receives our prayer, and the Bible tells us that repeatedly, shouldn't that already be a source of encouragement? Knowing that God has heard us? Because if we're honest, not everybody on the face of the planet has their prayer answered by God. The greatest reason of all, because of their unfaithfulness to Him. So, prayers going up, going to God, and then being received. And because of that, because we know our prayers are received, we should not doubt. If you look at Psalm 66, Psalm 66 and verse 19 and 20. In Psalm 66, verse 19 and 20, someone want to read that. But certainly God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. Now you notice there in verse 19, but certainly, which is beyond a doubt, right? Certainly God has heard me. He has attended or listened. He is aware of to the voice of my prayer. And he says, Blessed be God who has turned away my prayer. He has not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. So he knows that God has heard him. He knows that God is going to respond. You know, sometimes when you're walking through a store, you hear things, you don't really understand what people are saying. You kind of hear the noise of chatter and this, that, and the other. But in verse 19 and 20, it's not just a massive amount of sound that God is hearing. He hears the prayer. That is, he hears and he understands, right? You know, sometimes in school we talk about a, a particular segment called reading and comprehension, which means you read something and then you see how much you comprehend it. 
Well, God here, he hears and he comprehends. It's not just white noise. He is aware of our words. Blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. And we think about this idea how we should not, how we do not respond, we do not doubt the power of prayer because the Bible reminds us very clearly that the Christian not only has the ability to pray to God, but God hears our prayer and God receives our prayer and God will respond to our prayer. How not to respond? Skipping services of the church. Which, interesting enough, when stressful things happen, that's probably the number one thing that happens. Is people stop showing up. Now, I've used this illustration before. To me, it's like walking to the desert and seeing a big fountain of fresh water and just walking on by. You see what you need, but you just ignore it. When we stop attending faithfully or walking right past that fountain, it gives us hope, it gives us restoration, gives us reviving, gives us life, keeps us alive, but many will give. That is not what we are to do. We are literally walking past a lifeline because within the church, within the body of Christ, are those who will pray for us. And we learn from the very first point, God hears those prayers. So how do we not respond? We don't skip the services of the church. How do we not respond? Excessive worry. If you look at Philippians chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. In Philippians 4, beginning in verse 6, he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving that your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, which is another type of prayer, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Instead of worry, according to that verse, instead of worry, what should we do? Pray. 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 You know, how many times do we allow ourselves to get caught up in stressful situations, stressful events, and we don't even think to pray. It's like the hymn we sing sometimes, right? Did you think to pray? That's a pretty real good, it's an excellent question. Did you think to pray during that time? We find ourselves in whatever hardship and we start trying to take other steps and we don't stop and say, well, the first thing I should do is pray about it. And then move on from there. Excessive worry, well, he tells us in verse 6, our first response should not be worry. Our first response should actually be to pray. And, we should, and when, when we fail to pray, it's really when things only amplify. Worry amplifies. Stress amplifies. And the idea of, of wanting to just stay home and carry our own load without helping anyone else, that is, skipping services, that urge only amplifies as well. The less we depend upon God, the less we consider being faithful to Him, right? When I say the less we depend upon God, when stressful times happen, 
our reaction sometimes says, I'll do it myself. I can handle this. I don't need anyone's help. I don't need to pray. And yet what happens, we find things don't improve very quickly, or at all. We shouldn't act shocked when we have no help from God, when we don't ask for help from God. Attempts to solve problems without the help of God or the church, like we just said. I got ahead of myself there, apparently. Attempting to solve problems without the help of God. How many times do we see, in, for example, in the Old Testament, uh, groups of men decide they're going to go up and wage war against the nation without ever going to God first? And what happens, especially in the time of Joshua? The first time they went to Ai, what happened? They lost. The Bible says they didn't, they didn't go to God and it, uh, 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 go to Him in prayer, because it's that phrasing there. But they ended up retreating. Because they didn't ask God. But the second time, after they had prayed to God and went through Him, they went up and they just didn't just be AI, they destroyed several cities following it. Which is to be reminded of us today if you don't consider God, everything you do deserves to fail. But when you do keep God in your mind and keep God at the forefront, there's a real possibility that many things will succeed. Yeah. And they have to do with the sin. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you need to take it to God. You got to realize that you might have something you need to do yourself that might not be easy before you can be successful. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's many times there's those tough steps you have to take. And like you said, there's sin in the camp or and in that like that time and other times as well, going to God before they went up, uh the army of Israel sometimes had several victories, and when it came to a logical conclusion of that certain conquest or that period, sometimes you see them go up again without the, uh, you know, conversing with God, without conversing with Joshua or conversing with Moses. And what happened is they kind of say, okay, well, we've done all this, we're going to keep going. And I said, no, you weren't supposed to keep going. And what happened? They lose. And so we have to make sure that we are always those who are mindful that we cannot carry our, our problems ourselves. You know, the Bible tells us that each man has to carry his own load, which is a reference to sin, but we are to go to God to help us carry that load. No one can carry our sin with us. No one can uh, carry that sin for us. But when it comes to hardships and difficulties, you remember the words of Christ there in Matthew, he, tells, he says the phrase there, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, right? And I will give you rest. Which means bring all your troubles, all your concerns, all your worries, and bring them to me. Now, how many times have you ever heard someone say, just bring all your troubles to me, we'll, we'll talk about everything in your life. I'll be honest, I'm probably not going to say that to you. But if you want to come and talk to me about some things, I'll do it. But I'll guarantee you I'm going to point you to... God, and bring those things to Him. Christ is the one who says, bring all your problems, bring all your worries, bring those things to me. Because He's the one who can truly give rest and comfort. All, oh. all those things, they bear you one of the burdens. So, mm-hmm. you've got to be there for each other. And you can't be there for someone if you don't have somebody if they're not willing to bring it to you. Yeah. I think there is a problem with a lot of people. 
that they're not willing to go and ask for help. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're not allowing Christians the opportunity to serve them. Yeah. Because we're supposed to bear one another's burdens. Mm-hmm. We can't do that if we don't know what your burdens are. Mm-hmm. Or if you don't want our help. Yeah. Yeah, you know, there's there's a difference between um, coming and asking someone for help, and there's I think sometimes we we give those who want help, but they're afraid if they come, they're gonna have to uh, tell maybe more than they'd like to, or maybe they're afraid to open up. And I, and I say this all the time that I can pray for you about whatever situation is going on without knowing every single detail in that situation. There's some things that maybe you want to keep private. And by being very general, I can understand what you want, right? Well, we don't have to be greatly detailed. But we cannot, to Chris's point, you cannot pray for someone about something if you have no idea what's going on. You know, I've known several people at different times who've had different sicknesses, and I find out about it later, and I say, we don't need to pray for you? Just to Chris's point, you kind of get robbed, don't you? It lacks, it gives, it doesn't give us the chance to show others that we care. It doesn't give us a chance to pray on their behalf. The Bible tells us to pray for one another, right? The effective, uh, perfect prayer of righteous man availeth much only if he gets to pray for you. And so if we want to have the prayers of the church, we have to be willing to say, you know what, I have some things going on, telling whatever you feel like comfortable being telling, being told, and allowing people to pray for you. Because unlike Christ, I cannot read your mind and no one else can either. And if we want to have the prayers of the church, you have to tell somebody that you need prayers. Now we do at times encourage people, and we should do this more often perhaps, is to pray for the congregation as a whole, and that's great. But friends, shouldn't it be encouraging to know that others are praying for you for that specific problem or situation that's going on? If you are struggling because a loved one has passed away and you have a great deal of grief in your life and you ask for others to pray for you, that should be a source of encouragement. And many times that grief, for example, goes on a lot longer, but sometimes people don't know they should continue to pray for you or you're having such a, more, such a difficult time if you don't tell them. You know, you think about the numerous times that people came to Christ Asking for things. Now, we understand Christ knew the hearts and minds of man, right? But they went to him asking for certain things. Some went to him asking for prayers. Some went to him asking for healings to be done. Uh, you know, one man came and asked for a servant to be healed. Other things such as that. But you know, it had to be, before they could have that healing, didn't they have to go to Christ in the first place? In order to have prayers, you've got to tell someone. But I think to some degree, we are afraid to open up, aren't we? And don't misunderstand me. Like I said before, I don't have to know every detail of everyone's single life, and no one needs to know your details or anything like that. But to some degree, if we will open up a little bit more, what's going to happen? We're going to pray a lot more. We're going to care a lot more, and our burdens will be carried by a lot more people, won't But we have to be willing to open up. But our society condemns that a lot of times, but the Christians shouldn't be worried about that. Christ tells us to 
bear one of those burdens, and we need to do that. How one should respond. How one should respond. Now, obviously we didn't talk about everything and every way in which a person should not respond, but we have seen some good reasons and good ways. But the one way a person should respond is to go to God in prayer. Go to God in prayer. And you think about, and I've said this before, probably one of the most forgotten avenues that the Christian has is prayer. Ask yourself for a second, how many times did you pray today? Just think. Now ask yourself, how many times are you going to pray tomorrow? See, we kind of get into this set, I'll pray before each meal, which is great. I'll pray when I wake up in the morning, I'll pray when I go to bed. Okay, that's five times. You eat three meals a day, you pray when you wake up, pray when you go to sleep, that's five times. Five times within roughly a 12-hour span if you're awake for 12 hours. Okay? Providing sleep for 12, but whatever. Uh, you have that span, you're awake, right? That's a long time. How many times throughout the day do you talk to your spouse or your best friend? Is it more than five times? If you, <laughs> yeah, yeah, if you want your tea to work when you get home, right? Uh, you, you, you talk a lot. You talk in the morning. It's probably a lot more than just a few seconds, right? You send a text throughout the day. You have a quick little phone call. Even, you know, you have that interaction throughout the day at different times. Various links. We have it different times throughout the day. So think for a moment, how many times you pray today, what would happen if you only talked to your spouse that amount of time? Think about your prayers, how long they took, and ask yourself, what would happen if you only talked to your spouse that amount of time every day, let's say for seven days? You probably wouldn't be very happy, and they probably wouldn't be very happy either, right? Which tells us, and I say that to say, if we're only praying that much, and we feel, and we think of how we would feel if our conversations only lasted that long with, the, with our spouse, or with our best friend, whatever the case may be, and we think, well, if I only talk to them that much, that'd be kind of hurt. Imagine how God must feel, right? And I, may, I say all that to say that we can always pray more throughout the day. And I, I think sometimes, we get into this mindset, I have to be seated, sitting down, I have to have my head bowed, and that's how I'm going to pray. You ever pray in traffic? Especially when someone cuts you off? You ever pray when you're, when you're walking down the street, you're going on a hike, you're walking with your family, you see a wreck that happened on the side of the road? We can literally pray anywhere, anytime, for any reason. The question is to ask is what is preventing us. So, how should we respond? We go to God in prayer. And the second one is to increase your time in the Word of God. You can't be encouraged by God's Word if you have a very small knowledge of it. Opening up the Bible and reading. Pick a book, pick a chapter, and just start reading. People can suggest different books, that's fine. Just start reading. Because at some point, you're going to come across something that's going to encourage you. 
It could be Genesis, it could be Ruth, it could be the book of Revelation. Whatever it may be, we need to open it up and we need to start reading. And not reading just to say that I read today, not reading just so we can put our number on the board, but reading because we want to grow closer to God, we want to learn more about Him, so that when things come upon us, we don't have to stop and say, well, what should I do? We can say, I know the Bible says I should do. So I'm going to take this step, and this step, and this step, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray, ask others to pray for me, and I'm going to keep my nose in God's Word until we come through the other side. Increase your time in the Word of God. Yeah. Prayer is how we communicate with God. Mm-hmm. We don't read the Word of God, we communicate with us. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's how we, yeah, it's how he communicates with us. It's how he imparts his knowledge to us. It's everything. Uh, it's kind of like a, a phone call that's only one direction. It doesn't really do much good, right? You've got to have that response. Uh, the next one here, which we've already mentioned a little bit, is request others to pray for you. We've already talked about that. We need, we should be doing that. I'm going to go into that again because we already have a little bit at length, but, uh, get involved in activities that will take your mind off things you cannot control. We cannot control everything. We can't control, for honest, most things, right? You know, we, we get worried about prices of pick whatever you want. But I cannot walk into a store and say, fix that problem. That doesn't work. They're probably going to throw you in jail. But we can't fix it ourselves. We can pray about it. We can go to God's Word reminded that we shouldn't have worried about those things and put Him first. And then we can ask others to pray for us if we're struggling. And then what we do, we find something that will take our mind off of that. Because if you think about it, if you worry about something too long, does it do any good? No. If you were to take a rock, hold it in your hand, and you start getting upset about something, you start worrying, you start rubbing it, and you rub it the whole time you are worried, what is that thing going to look like when you're done? It's going to change to some degree. I don't mean you're going to change its shape, but you're going to change the surface of it. You sit there and do that long enough, we think about how long do we worry sometimes? For days. Days upon days upon days. And what does it do? It doesn't change anything. You know, there in Matthew 6, what does Christ remind us about? Which one of you can have, can worry, by worrying, can have one cubit to a stature? Which is, what can you do? What can you change by worry? Nothing. You can't change the rock, but you can change the hand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you think about these things we've talked about this evening. None of these things, first of all, none of them cost any money to them. You think about all these self-help books and things that are out there. We have to remember, I'm sure some of them have some good qualities in them. I'm not saying they don't. But their sole purpose is to make money. Otherwise, you can write one self-help book and you'll probably be done. But God's Word... And prayer literally costs nothing. Going to God in prayer, free. Increasing your time in the Word of God, free. Asking others to pray for you, free. Getting involved in activities, so take your mind off of it, depending on what you choose, free. 
They cost nothing. What they do cost is our time and our determination to do things differently. So everything that God shows in His Word, ways in which we can overcome temptations and struggles that Satan brings upon us or those opportunities He uses to, to try to hinder us, our response financially costs, causes, costs us nothing. It costs us a little bit of time, but it also will grant us in the end the ability to overcome whatever that hardship is. <clears throat> okay, some reminders for us today. Very simple. Victory over hardship only comes when you put God first. Sounds logical, right? If you don't put God first, how are you going to overcome anything? You think for a moment, how many individuals you know that are struggling with various things in their life and they're not putting God first and things aren't getting better? You know, in their mind, they may think, well, financially it's getting better. Does the situation ever improve unless you are spiritually getting better? Finances don't change your spiritual well-being, does it? No. Our automobiles or our homes don't change our or change our spiritual well-being before God. And so, I say this to say that we never actually get better until we spiritually heal and improve and get stronger. Everything else in our life may actually increase, but if our spiritual well-being is not improving, if we're not overcoming sin, rejecting temptation, then we're not actually improving in the eyes of God, are we? Now, I say that to say this, that the world looks at self-improvement a whole lot different than how God looks at self-improvement, doesn't he? God looks at it as turning to Him, which results in turning away from sin. Praying to Him, which results in a closer relationship to Him. Going to His Word, which results in, again, growing closer to Him. Asking others to pray for us, which results in greater fellowship, stronger Christian. And the list goes on and on. And so until we spiritually improve, we haven't really improved at all. And we will not improve unless we put God first. We won't actually have a true victory until we put God first. Success comes to those who refuse to give up. Who refuse to give up. You know, we keep going back to Job and no doubt he had his struggles and he had some very bold questions that he wanted to quote-unquote ask God. But he ever actually say, I quit. I'm done. Nope. Did Daniel ever say, I quit, I'm done, I'll just pray to Nebuchadnezzar and I can avoid this whole lion's den thing? He didn't say that. Did the three friends and Daniel say, okay, we'll pray, we'll go and bow down before this giant, ridiculous gold image he made just so we won't burn up? No. They refused to give up. That's why Daniel was in the lion's den. That's why those three friends were in the fiery furnace. That's why so many others faced persecution because they refused to give up when difficult times came. Where did the Apostle Paul write most of his letters? Prison. He never gave up. 
If you're going to give up, you give up and you're chained to a wall in the inner dungeon of a prison, right? I mean, you think, what can I do from here? Only influence the world and the rest of you for, for eons, right? For thousands of years beyond your, your physical life. Only potentially change the life of every human being that ever lived. Not much from prison. Because you never gave up. Peter never gave up. You read uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs. It talks about the ways in which all the apostles died. And how at least 11 of them died a martyr's death. Which means they died because they would not give up their faith in God or their faith in Christ. They would not give up. To the very, very end, they died for their faith that they would not give up. Now, we today, those of us in this room, do not face a firing squad. We don't face being tied to the back of a horse and being driven across the street. We don't face being hung from a cross or hung from a tree because of our faith. But that doesn't mean that it won't come some point down the road. And so we think about the hardships we're facing now, whether it be financially or other things, uh, you know, physical hardships, health hardships, financial hardships, where it may be. If we give up, you never win that way, do you? No one ever wins by waving the white flag. Okay, our last uh, reminder here. Lasting success comes to those who remain faithful and keep their focus on God. And so when you do overcome that hardship, when you do overcome that troublesome time, that temptation, when you come out of that sin, the only way you're going to have that success continue for a long time is you keep your eye on the prize, right? When Peter was bold enough to ask Christ to let him come out of the water to him, as he walked across the water, do you remember that? We all know this story from the back of our hand, probably. When did Peter begin to sink? When he took his eyes off Christ. When he looked the other way. Christ was here, the storm was here, and he turned and looked at the storm. Now, it's easy for us to look back and be a Monday morning quarterback, but did Peter really have any reason to be afraid? No. The man was breaking the law of gravity because God, Christ gave him the ability to do so, just like he was doing, walking on water to the Savior. What could possibly go wrong? Nothing until you turn your head. And that's when it did go wrong. And spiritually speaking today, when we take our eyes off God's Word, we take our eyes off being faithful to God, that's what's going to happen. We're going to sink, and like the psalmist says, we'll find ourselves sinking into the, into the mire where we're asking God to lift us up out of it. Okay, any closing comments or questions this evening? Because we are almost right on time.